Hello, and welcome back to Everyman Academy. I am Professor JT, and I will be your guide. Everyman Academy is proudly part of the Just Three Murphs podcasting network. Today is an exciting day as I begin to embark on this journey of exploring the Western canon as laid out in Susan Wise Bowers' The Well-Educated Mind. This list of novels begins with Don Quixote. Just a little bit of context here. A literary cycle is a group of stories focused on common figures. Sometimes they're mythological, sometimes they're historical. Cycles usually deal with an entire country. So, we have the epic cycle, the Trojan War, the cycle of kings, the monarchy of Ireland, the matter of France, or the Carolingian cycle, which centers on Charlemagne and the Twelve Peers. Perhaps most well-known and significant, the matter of Britain, or Arthurian cycle, which centers on King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Most people were not literate. Stories were passed orally in various ways, and these tales and stories became, well, kind of like the Netflix of the day, with the water cooler discussions, the things that we talked about, those stories that we share that tell us things about ourselves, our culture. In this case, a little bit of, well, pride for one's culture and where you come from. In the Middle Ages, these stories spread. Tales of chivalry, the knights in their shining armor, striding into a castle. You know, in these times, in more primitive times, they didn't have these tools of war so readily available from tanks to nuclear bombs. What did they have? They had knights, very, very important with their armor, which protected them, and they would pledge their fealty and service to a lord. They accumulated wealth that way. Among the elite, these tales of chivalry captivated a generation, a younger generation, a generation moving away from the ideals of a past time, so focused on the Christian worldview, we're moving into the emergence of humanism. The idea that we do things based on our own individual reasons, purpose, marrying because of love rather than out of duty. You had knights that boldly stride into the castle, defeat and conquest, the many beasts, vanquish foes in honor, bravery. We know the stories, the fairy tales that are told and as books were emerging, time marches on, new technologies created, the knights were certainly not as important as they used to be. The longbow was created, which really leveled the playing field. Now these new weapons of war were able to project arrows at such a speed they would pierce armor. In the 1400s, thinking back to the days of knights and chivalry, it was a bit of escapism, and books were spreading at a more rapid pace, especially with the advent of the printing press, although they certainly were still a luxury item and reserved for people with the means to both acquire them as well as collect and read them. 
these books, these tales of chivalry and romance were so widespread that they started changing people's behavior. And people did start to marry out of tradition and because of love and people were you know, behaving as kids do with the latest fad. And this really did cause for a lot of concern among governance of various regions steeped in the tradition and Catholic predominance throughout Europe. Theocratic rule with a specific structure in feudalism. This all relied upon things being as they were, not really changing much in order for the people to stay in power, to remain in power, when things started to change, which they didn't happen very often, it got a little scary. As we see through our times, what changes society and culture and shapes people the most? Spread of information. Are we influenced by media in ways that we don't understand, or are they just stories that have no effect on us at all? The answer, of course, is yes. We are affected by things that we view. Yes, we are influenced by things that we see. And we know this because we can look at the most primitive examples and see a huge impact on social structure, class, culture, behavior. It goes on and on, just with the advent of books. And this time, the narrative story was created, used as a way to convey ideas, to give social cohesion, cultural fabric. That brings us to Don Quixote, written in 1605 by Miguel de Cervantes, a man for which we know little about, actually. We know some things. It was later in his life when he wrote the book. He had been to prison. We don't need to go into it too much, but I wanted to expand upon what I mentioned because the story comes in the 1600s, so we're going in 150 years after this whole moral panic, this idea that these tales of chivalry would actually drive people insane, stories of King Arthur and the like, actually going to make people go crazy. Well, that idea in 1605 was a little silly. Nevertheless, it's expanded upon in a satirical way. The premise of the book is this man, Don Quixote, who is a hidalgo, kind of a lesser land owner in Spain. He had land, probably bequeathed through generations. Not much upkeep, not much influence. So Don Quixote quickly acquires the service of a squire who lives in the village. And he is a simple man, but he is streetwise. And the two of them have a very humorous back and forth, the comedic duo. Sancho Panza and Don Quixote. Sancho Panza and Don Quixote, the comedic duo, in search for glory, fame, and heroism, living an idealized life. Sancho Panza putting his hopes in a madman, trying to increase his lot in life, which was nearly impossible to do for someone of his status. The first book they go out and face headlong a cold and indifferent world, hilarious circumstances. What unfolds around them are events and moments and characters. Things happen that are not unlike something that you would see in a chivalry romance. Part two, the world has changed. Don Quixote sets out again. Don Quixote is well known and he's embraced with open arms. 
his wildest dreams are imagined. Sancho Panza even becomes governor of an island. The character development of Don Quixote. In the beginning, we see how absurd he is and how insane he has become. And the way he speaks and the things he's talking about, it's an absurdity immediately. But right about, the, let's say, 80 pages in, he goes on one of his monologues about the virtues of being a knight. And you start to say, hey, there's something more here. Is he crazy? Or is the world crazy? And is he a genius? However, out of nowhere, just when you think he is actually a very smart person, he goes and does something crazy. And that's where the hilariousness comes in. At any point in time, he could just attack someone that doesn't deserve it or has some type of delusion or hallucination about what he's seeing. His insanity and his madness is subject to change, but his values and who he is as a character is very static. It does not change. He's very consistent in who he is as a madman. Now, the character development in Sancho. Sancho is very worldly. At first, he's in awe of Don Quixote. He is confused on whether to believe him. He is taken in just by the fact that he owns any land at all. He's kind of a slob. He wants to be lazy, he wants to eat food. He's not looking to take the hard road in this. And at the end of the first part, he actually gets a little bit of money and that really influences and changes him in the second part. And we see him fully aware of Don Quixote's illness and is manipulative. To see him become more scheming and um, conniving is an interesting character development. This book is a great way to build the habit of reading. It took me two months toward the end of the book I was getting excited. I wanted to finish it so I could move on to the next one. But as I got closer to the end, ooh, I started to feel nostalgia. I started to feel sad. I didn't want to leave these characters. I felt so connected. So many quests, adventures, tales, and laughs. I'd learned so much. But then I realized I can always go back and I will revisit this book, I'm sure. What is the most important event of this book? If I had to pick one event above the rest, when Alonzo Quiano reemerges and Don Quixote no longer exists, we finally see who this man was. He is realizing everything that happened to him and those around him, the same people that begged him to just stop with the insane charades, the theatrics. He was putting himself at risk, danger, being some knight in this modern world. He could be hurt, and he was hurt. Part one is incredible, the amount of pain he endures. He loses teeth, I think. Beaten bloody to the pulp. There's a lot of beating, he's getting beaten. The first part of this novel. At the end of part two, it feels like everything comes full circle. The people who wanted him to return to normal seem the most impacted. With Don Quixote gone, they see what he represented hope that anything can be possible and no endeavor more worthy than the search for beauty. In part two, there's a new character that's introduced, a university student, proper education. His name is Samson, and Samson is so taken by the phenomenon of Don Quixote's book that is so notorious throughout the world now. He's fanboying all over the place for Don Quixote. There's a duel that takes place. What transpires is Don Quixote hands one to Samson, puts him on his rear end, humbles him hard. Mr. Proud University boy, Samson. He's the fool now. 
<clears throat> we've already gone into what Don Quixote represents, but Samson represents people that you encounter in this life that reject your idealism. You will have haters. It's the nature of humanity. Although you love all because the haters are often haters because of pain. I mean, let's look at Samson. Insecurity clearly led him to get that big fancy education. And then he becomes enamored by the ingenious Don Quixote. He actually secretly believed in all those things Don Quixote held dear. Truth, goodness, ambition, adventure, honor, courage. Samson is the world saying, no, get in your place, be one of the rest of us. Samson was the most grief stricken and Don Quixote was no more. The irony in it all. Don Quixote is a chronicle shown through detail about the world explained in the third person, breaking the fourth wall, using creative, narrative, storytelling devices that we now take for granted as cliche when, at its time, Cervantes was creating pretty much a genre, several low-budget comedy plots and things that have been cut, copied, and pasted throughout our modern era. Got its origin, can be tasted, in its purest form in Don Quixote. The world has limitations. Don Quixote's imagination does not. So, he employs a strategy to overcome those obstacles and he charges head first into action. This threatens people. The comedy in part one, his idealism is his downfall as he's reminded in a comedic way. Expectations, meets reality and you get a taste of what you deserve. Again and again, Don Quixote encounters pain, calamity. Does this reflect the harshness and coldness of our world? Other times he encounters people who are friendly. He helps develop love and he encounters good fortune and charity. Is people willing to go along with the fantasy? He also encounters people who make fun of him. Some people do have remorse about this. Well, Others have less, such as the Duke and the Duchess. This all may speak upon human nature and human's innate goodness, as well as how earthly comforts can mute or distance people from their inherent good. It also speaks to how human beings sometimes have a natural tendency to make fun of those who cannot stick up for themselves. Enchantment. It's a common theme and a recurring joke speaks of the fantastical nature of Don Quixote's mental state. His sense of self is unable to see anything that will conflict with him making the most absurd stretches to preserve his madness. As the reader, we revel in these moments. The world of part two seems more alive, welcoming, more fantastical, as if it is changed by the events of part one. Look what happens when you inspire people. Sancho and his proverbs wasn't trained in the art of letters and literacy, and yet he's picked up so much wisdom. His character evolution from naive peasant, lazy and scared complaining, to a braggart, streetwise, cunning and manipulation, finally becoming in touch with what really matters. Don Quixote is always longing for adventure, and yet he remains the same, consistent in his actions, steadfast, we, the audience, see him in a different light, and those around him as well. Don Quixote represents hope, human spirit, goodness, the fruits of our aspirations. What is possible if you just put your mind to it? Also, he's a scholar of the Western canon, the overall scope of this more than one book endeavor of educating the mind. 
there it is. We see whispers of the great conversation already. In the first part of the story, Don Quixote is a bystander to some little vignettes, which are actual romance chivalry stories in of themselves about love over the cold harshness of the world, passion, men doing brave things and winning women above their station. In the historical sense, we understand the different times but are connected across generations by these universal truths. What makes history and what makes myth? To what degree can we prove anything happened? What degree? Don Quixote teaches us to blur that line, to share in the true history, the greatest story ever told, the story of humankind. We understand that, and we should embrace it through the generations. We are able to see the things that connect us. Don Quixote has embraced the love of learning and knowledge. In his actions, we are quick to laugh, but through his monologues, and through his wisdom, perhaps he's connected to a higher truth, something greater than ourselves, an awareness about physically participate in the shared lineage and story. We listen to the wisdom of those who came before us, and we take part in this great conversation. My hope is that you will continue to join me. Next episode, we're talking about Pilgrim's Progress. We're going to do it. We're going to go and walk that pilgrim's path. I hope you join me. Once again, I am Professor JT. Thank you for joining Everyman Academy. Class dismissed. <laughs>